The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. So when I was in seventh grade, I had to memorize a poem. And the poem was by Robert Frost, and it was Two Roads Diverge in a Yellow Wood. And I thought, when will I ever use this in my life? It was one of those things where you're like, this is really pointless. Never going to have to use that. Then I became a pastor. And that kind of stuff comes up on Saturday night when you're looking for an illustration and a way to start off a sermon. So here it is. That's right. This is going to happen. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one until it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fair, though having perhaps a better claim, for it was grassy and wanted wear. But as for that, the passing there had left them just about the same. Both that morning equally lay. In leaves, no step, had trodden black. Oh, I saved the one for another day. But knowing how way leads on to way, I knew that I would never be back. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the road less traveled. And that has made all the difference. I, I memorized that poem in seventh grade. And it has had a formative effect on my life. And I understood as I grew older why they make you memorize poetry. I know, Jared. Come on, just bear with me, okay? There are powerful symbols in poetry. Emotion communicated on a fundamental level that comes out at strange and unexpected times in our lives. And this idea of, of two roads diverging in a wood and the idea that you can't ever come back has stuck with me as I've made decision after decision in my life. That there are choices that we make that have consequences that ripple through our lives like a pebble dropped into a pond. And oftentimes we don't know where those ripples go or where they'll lead. This is, a, this is a foreign concept to us in the modern era that we live in because we are told that the roads all basically go to the same place. That there is no right and there is no wrong. There just is. Just, you just be. You just follow your heart and it will lead you to good places. That's the message that we're told. The, the parable of the age that we live in is the parable of the elephant. You probably have heard this before, but you didn't place it. it it's the idea that, um, you know, a man is describing religion. So how do you describe religion? He says, it's like many blind men who encounter an elephant, right? And, and one man says, oh, we're, uh, God is like, a, is long, like the elephant's trunk, He's, it's a, big long hose. God's like a hose. And other men, you know, are, are up against the side. They say, oh, God is like a wall. 
because they're feeling the side of the elephant. Another one's like, oh, no, no, he's feeling the ear. Oh, God is like an ear. And, and the message that we're supposed to pull from this is that nobody can really know who God is, and um, everybody's pretty much right, and most of us are pretty much, you know, not completely wrong. We just, we don't really know, and so you should just go with it. Everybody's right. Everybody just see things from a different perspective. But if you, if you think about it, if you really think about that parable, it's arrogant. Because the person telling the parable knows what the elephant looks like. The, the person that, that is telling the parable is saying, all of these people are stupid, they have no knowledge. I am the one that has all knowledge. And I'll tell you what it's like. And aren't you all foolish? See, there is truth. There is reality. We can know what God is like. And in our story this morning, in our passage this morning, Jesus is trying to communicate this reality to his disciples. He's trying to tell them that there is a way to God. But it's a narrow way. He's trying to get them ready for the deep truths of what redemption is going to look like. He has just spent the past several chapters in the Sermon on the Mount laying out the ethics of the kingdom of God. And now he is going to begin to tell them what it means to enter the kingdom of God. What it means to become a follower of Christ. He is going to take them down a road that will end with most of them dying as martyrs. He's going to take them down a hard and unpopular road. And he wants them to be ready for this. As Christians, we need to study this. We need to understand this. Because it is desperately important that we do not buy into the lie of religious pluralism. There are multiple paths out there, brothers and sisters, but there's only one path that leads to God. There's one path to salvation, and it is a narrow road. There are many roads that claim to be a road to God, but most of them lead to hell. And I know we don't like talking about hell, and you'd be like, oh, you're being hellfire and brimstone, Pastor. You've got to talk about hell. You have to understand what hell is. The concept of hell has fallen on hard times. We don't like to talk about it. If you look at the statistics, most Americans believe in heaven. They believe that Jesus was a good guy. Most of them don't believe in hell. We don't want to believe in hell. We don't like the concept of hell. But Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 5.13, he says, For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Now, I'm just going to break through all the translation, all the rest of it, and tell you when he says destruction, he means hell. That's what he's talking about. He is talking about the way that leads to hell. And even though we don't like talking about it, even though we don't like thinking about it, we have to, in order to understand what salvation is, 
So, some, when, when you ask people about hell, people will say different things. Sometimes people will say, well, I think hell is inside your mind. Right? Hell is a, is a mental state. So other people say, well, I think hell is, is life on earth. We're, we're in hell right now, and then we're going to get taken out of it. Right? If you're really screwed up, you'll respond like, like Albert Camus, who's like this nihilist guy. And, he'll, and he said, said, what is hell? And he said, hell is other people. That's pretty messed up. He ends up killing himself, but whatever. Jesus, though, was very clear about the reality of hell. In fact, Jesus talked about hell a lot. I know, hipster Jesus, we don't like to think about that in his multicolored bathrobe, right? Everybody's good. But Jesus talked about hell three times as many, three times as many times as he talked about heaven. Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible talked about hell. Like, everything Jesus talked about was, was tied up in this concept of judgment and eternal punishment. That's feel-good Jesus, right? He talks about the need for judgment, for the reality of judgment, for the future of judgment. And when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about it in good terms. He's not like, oh, well, you know, you're going to go to judgment and it's going to be this really bad mental state where you're, you know, you're really toward. No, this is how he describes it. He describes it as Gehenna, right? That's the valley outside of the city of Jerusalem that the pagan kings used to sacrifice children in. It's not a nice place, right? It's a, it's a horrible place. The, the ancient pagan Jewish kings would take their, take their children down there and sacrifice them on altars. They would burn them alive to the god Molech. And when the Jews came back after the exile, they wanted to defile this place. And so this is the, the place that they turned into their garbage dump. If they had corpses, if they had animal refuse, if they had sewage, it all went there. They burned their trash down there. So it was this place of eternal stench and smoke and maggots and decay. It was a bad, bad place. And that's what Jesus uses as his metaphor for hell. Um, my friend Matt's here, and he was in Iraq for a while. Um, and he can attest to this. When you, when you go up to a lot of the Iraqi cities, um, at least the ones that I was at, you, you would come up to the, the towns, and the first thing that you would encounter was the smell of the, of the garbage dump that, run, that ringed the city. To get into most of the cities, you had to pass through this, this land of burned-out cars and sewage and burning baby diaper. I mean, it was horrible. It was just nasty, nasty piles of decaying food. It was disgusting. That's what he's describing. As hell. It's a place of eternal fire, a place of eternal darkness, a place of eternal separation from God. Eternal, conscious, personal torment. That's what hell is. Hell is not this place. Hell is not this life. It is a place that we are taken to as judgment for the things that we do here. And we have to understand that. We have to face that before we can move on. See, hell is a terrible place. 
But the road to hell isn't that bad. The road to hell is pretty easy. Jesus described the road to hell as a broad way. What you've got to understand is in the ancient world, most of the roads that they had were nothing more than dirt tracks. Right? Maybe a, a wagon could go down it. Most of them were, were muddy in the wintertime and impassable and dusty during the summertime. They were not nice places. They were not what we're used to. But a Roman road, man, a Roman road was great. It was wide. It was paved. It wasn't muddy. It was well-drained. It was scientifically built. They had mile markers so you knew where you were going. There were inns along the way. They were policed so nobody would rob you. So when he says a wide road, that's what he's referring to. That's the image he wants them to have. Because if you were a traveler, you wanted to go down the broad road. You wanted to go down the wide road. And we do the same thing with philosophies. We do the same thing with, with knowledge, with the things that we choose to believe. We want to believe the easy things. We want to believe the respectable things. We, find, we want to follow the broad and easy paths because we don't want to think that hard. To be honest, we, we don't want to think that hard about stuff. We don't want to face realities that are harsh, like hell, like judgment. And so Jesus uses this analogy to get across to his audience, look, you're going to face stuff that you don't like. You're going to face realities in the Christian walk that you don't like, and you have to face them. Because if you don't, if you wander down the easy path, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to go. Jesus wants his disciples to avoid this, this attractive moral road of, of giving away your morality. He wants them to understand that that just because it's easy doesn't mean it's good. And, and that can be many different ways. He wants them to understand that the road to the kingdom is not paved by easy ethics or easy morality. And it's not going to make sense sometimes. It, it's not going to click together. Paul told the Corinthians, he said it this way, he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the gospel doesn't make sense, and it's not going to make sense until the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you eyes to see. But the reason for that is because the gospel requires you to die to the things that you find right. It's radical. And it requires a radical change. He goes on to describe to them how the path to hell isn't just wide. It's not just easy. It's also popular. The audience he was talking to was, a, was an audience that was steeped in this idea of Jewish exceptionalism. Right? They were the chosen people. They were going to spend eternity with God. All the Gentiles were bad. They were good because God made them good. The Gentiles were bad because the, God made them bad. This was comfortable. This was easy. And this is what everybody did. If you wanted to be respectable in your community, you became a Pharisee. 
You followed the law. Your mother was proud. She told all her friends. Who doesn't want their mom to be proud of them? Right? Who doesn't want their friends to think that they're doing a good job? Who doesn't want to have a job that's respectable? See, the way to hell is popular. You look good. The people around you think that you're a good guy. Later on, he'd be talking to Greeks and Romans who followed this path of syncretism where it didn't really matter what you believed. All the beliefs were the same. We're all moving in one big river towards something and we'll find out what it is. And everything was good. You could do whatever you wanted to just as long as you did what everybody else did too. So when the, when the Jews would come into a Greek city, the, the Greeks didn't have a problem taking Yahweh, the God of the universe, just putting it out there on a stand like, hey, that's another one of our gods. Right? The Romans did the same thing. As long as you offered sacrifices to the emperor, you could do whatever you want to because all the gods were equal. But see, Jesus is getting them ready to realize that you can't do this. And when you begin to become exceptional, when you become exclusive, when you begin to say things like, I don't want to worship your gods because they're not true. When you begin to make exclusive truth claims, that's when people get mad. That's when it starts getting real. That's when people start having problems with you. Right? When it, when it starts impinging on your life and the way that you relate to other people, that's when it becomes real. That's when conflict arises. And he's trying to get his people to the place where they understand that just because there is conflict doesn't mean that it's wrong. It is difficult to repudiate your culture, your religion. But popularity and harmony are not the symbols of truth. Jesus understood he was going to cause problems. He told his disciples, he said, you will be hated because of my name. Not, you might be hated because of my name. It could happen that you would be hated because you will be hated because of my name. That's Jesus, right? Fully God, fully man, part of the Trinity, knows everything, is omniscient. He said that. So guess what? You will be hated. That's not my interpretation. That's what scripture says. Most of you know this is true. Anybody who's ever tried to share their faith with somebody knows that there are people out there that hate you for it. And that's just the way it is. Deal with it. He knew that it would cause problems within families. Right? He says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's hippie Jesus again, right? Bringing a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. There will be problems in your family if you are a Christian. There are people out there that will be disowned by their families. Many of us have grown up in Christian homes. And it's not that big of a deal. But I know people who have been disowned by their families because they profess Christ. Who've been cut out of the will because they profess Christ. And there are people out there whose families are trying to kill them because they profess Christ. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's real. Just because it's popular and easy doesn't mean that it's right. He knew that it would cause problems with the authorities. 
He told him, but beware, men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before the governors and the kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, we are entering a time in our country where we will increasingly be at odds with the people that are in power. Is your faith strong enough to stand up to that? This isn't a popular message. This isn't an easy message. This isn't an easy road. This isn't a, I'm gonna, God's going to give you a Cadillac and everything's going to be great and you're going to have a job and it's going to be awesome. No, this is, this is the message that Christ brought. And it's not an easy message because the road to hell is an easy road. The road to hell is a broad road. When I was in mountain warfare school, one of the things that they taught us was that you don't follow well-established paths. Right? If it's an easy path, if it makes sense to go down it, generally the enemy wants you to go down it. There's probably going to be an ambush at the end of it. And so you have to take the hard roads, the narrow roads, the roads that take you up high, where it's difficult. Because easy roads, broad roads, are usually bad roads. Be deliberate about your life and the direction that you are going. Do not wander down the road taking the easy paths because it will channel you to a place that you do not want to go. Don't follow the road because it's popular. Don't follow the road because your parents want you to follow it. Don't follow the road because all of your friends are telling you to take it because the broad road leads to hell. What does this mean to us? This means we have to avoid the easy morality, right? We have to avoid the people that are telling us that if it feels good, do it, right? If it just, if it feels good, it just makes sense. Brothers and sisters, the human heart is the worst possible compass you can follow. There are hundreds, thousands, millions of people whose lives have been destroyed because they followed their heart. And their heart told them to do stupid things that destroyed them. Go visit a prison. They're filled with people that followed the desires and direction of their heart. Right? The human heart is a terrible guide. Popular opinion is a terrible guide. Ease is a terrible guide. Avoid the easy and inclusive religion that is beginning to be taught that teaches that there is no one way, that all ways are good. Because it ends badly. Life is hard. Anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. Life is hard. Nothing worth doing is easy. You can take that to the bank. See, Christ is clear in his message, cuts through all of the garbage, cuts through all of the lies. He cuts through all the static, a, a generation of feel-good preachers and a generation of, of prosperity gospel. He tells them to choose the narrow path because the narrow path leads to heaven. He contrasts this broad and easy road with the hard road, the narrow road. 
that leads to salvation. In verse 514, he says, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, I, I want to say right off the bat, we have to be careful about, what, about the words that we use. The road to heaven is narrow and it's difficult, but it's not narrow and difficult because there's a bunch of hurdles you have to jump over. Okay? Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden is light, and he meant it. We don't have a, I don't have a, a list of rules underneath here that I can pull out to you if you want to be a Christian and say, here's our SOP for being a Christian. Go ahead and sign the back of it and follow all the stuff. And if you do it good enough, then maybe you can be cool like me and be a Christian and we can go to heaven again. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about obedience to a set of rules, right? It, it, it's about desiring righteousness inside of you. Right? Jesus already told his disciples that their righteousness had to be greater than the Pharisees, that they had to be operationally perfect in order to rate salvation. <clears throat> right? But then he came back and told them that those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness would be filled. Right? So it's not about righteous action. It's not about doing the right thing all the time. It's not about having the right pedigree, about having the right family, about being in the right place at the right time or having enough money. It is about knowing who your Savior is and understanding who you are. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the light. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, the path to heaven is based on a narrow view of human nature and a narrow view of who God is. Narrow view of human nature. It's a, we are not the center of the world, guys. You're not the biggest, baddest, awesomest thing in all of creation. You're not the arbiter of truth. It doesn't matter what you think. I hate saying that, but it doesn't. We are mirrors for the glory of God. Right? That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to reflect God's glory to him. We're not the big picture. We're a thread in the tapestry. Right? We're one small cross stitch. We're a one stroke of paint on a masterwork. We are the work of his hands, and he can choose what to do with us. We are not basically good people who do some bad things. We are fundamentally bad people who inadvertently do good things sometimes, but not by choice. So you have to have that view of humanity. You have to understand who you are. Not who the world tells you are, right? Not who Madison Avenue says that you are. Not who President Obama says you are. You have to know who God says you are. The path to heaven is based on a narrow view of humanity. It's based on a narrow view of God. Jesus was not just a man. He was the son of God. He was not just a great moral teacher. He was the prince of peace. He just wasn't one of the many prophets. He was the prophet who was prophesied to be like Moses. That's who Jesus is. He was fully God and fully man who came to earth to take your sins. You have to understand that. That's a narrow view. It's a narrow view. 
of who Jesus was. This is a narrow, narrow path, and it is sparsely traveled. It is sparsely traveled. Matthew tells us later on that Jesus said that the gate was small. And that this small gate didn't admit many people. Because the gate to heaven is through Christ. And many people don't accept Christ. Many people don't understand who Christ is. Jesus said it this way, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The hard truth is that hell is real, and not everybody gets to go to heaven. Jesus told his disciples, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will get in. God has given one path, one mediator between the world and him, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you don't have him, you're out of luck. If we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if we want to escape God, or if we want to escape hell, then be with God. We have got to repent, right? Not, not sort of feel bad maybe sometimes about some of the things that we got caught doing. That's what we think of repentance. Like, oh man, I'm so, I'm so sorry I got caught cheating on my wife. No, that's not repentance. Man, it, I'm so sorry I'm in jail. That's not repentance. Repentance is understanding that you are a broken person and that all you do is sin all the time. That you cannot be good enough to earn salvation on your own and throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. That's what repentance means. That is what drives a man to his knees. That's what drives a man to die to himself and become a new creation. That's what is needed to enter the gate. And it is ridiculously hard. It is hard because we don't want to believe that about ourselves. It is hard because we don't want to be that vulnerable. It is hard because it requires us to repudiate everything that's come before, right? Paul says, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? He uses the words, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what it takes to enter through that gate. We enter through the death of everything that we have. We don't come to God on our own terms and say, here's all this baggage of garbage I'm bringing with me. You can have me if you take the garbage too. Like some crazy woman who says, uh, you know, you can marry me but my cats come too. No. That's not how it works, guys. That's right. I said that. That was me. That's not how it works. We don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And his terms are total and complete surrender. It's like when the, when the allies dropped two nuclear bombs on the Japanese and the, and the Japanese uh, were going to surrender. And you know what the terms were? Total, unconditional surrender. You don't get to make any terms. The victor makes the terms, and Christ is the victor. The narrow road leads to a small gate, the gate of repentance, death, and new life. The path to God, ladies and gentlemen, is narrow. And if that doesn't seem right to you, if you don't like that, 
tough. You don't get to choose who God is. You don't get to make God in your own image. You got to stop trying to make God who you want him to be and start worshiping the God who really is. Right? Just because I believe that if I die face first off of this, I won't hit the ground, doesn't mean I'm not going to break my face. There is a reality in this world, and Christ has told us what that is. Stop trying to get God to play by the rules that you create and start playing by his rules. Stop claiming that you would rather rule in hell than, than serve in heaven, because that's stupid. That's bravado, and it doesn't mean anything. There are people in this room who will say things like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go to hell with my friends and it's going to be great, like it's a big party. Like, you don't even have any idea what you're talking about. You heard somebody say that on TV and it sounded cool. You don't want to go to hell. You want to die to yourself. God is the creator and the master, and he gets to set the rules. That's what it means to be a creature. That's why Paul says the potter makes the pot. The pot doesn't go back to the potter and say, why did you make me this way? Well, because I wanted to. I'm the potter. Same way with God. Well, why did you make me this way? Because I'm God. And my ways are above your ways, and my mind is above your mind, and my ways are so far beyond anything that you could comprehend. That's what God tells us. And, guys, that's the God you want. You don't want a God that you create. You, you, you don't want a God that you can conceptualize, because he'll look like you. And you're not that great. The God of Scripture is so much more than anything you could have dreamed or imagined. He's, he's so much more than you can come to at the bottom of liquor bottle or at the end of a joint. He is complete. He is powerful. He is transcendent. He, he is the God who demands justice and mercy and humility. And if you are honest with yourself, you'll realize that that's the God you really want. You, you don't want some old senile grandfather God who is just really excited that you come to visit him in the nursing home like, oh, here's some hard candy. Thanks for coming and visiting me. That's not a God you want. That's not a God you turn to when things go bad. You don't want some forgetful God who doesn't care what other people do, who is not going to avenge wrongs, who looks at rapists and murderers and abusers and like, meh, not that big of a deal. That's not the God you want when you've been wronged, when this world is trampled on you. You want a God who is an avenging fire, who will make things right, who will overturn the world, because deep down you know that the world is broken. That's the God you want. Don't accept cheap substitutes. Follow the narrow path to the real God because that is the only way to heaven. Seek the God who is and was and will remain like an anchor in your life throughout all of the stuff that happens. The God who will not move 
who will not change. Seek him and be broken to pieces and die to yourself. Seek him and live forever in the glory of the one who came and died for you. Glory that will never die and that will outshine the sun. Seek him, but seek him on the narrow road. Choice is yours. You get to make the choice. There are two paths you can follow in this life. You can follow the broken image of God that this world holds out to you, or you can take the road less traveled. When I was 18, I made the choice to follow Christ. I made the choice to give myself to him. Brothers and sisters, that has made all of the difference. I took the road less traveled, and my life was changed. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have a time where you can come forward, and if you have wanted to do this, if, if you're wandering through life, if you don't know where you're going, you have nothing real or solid in your life, come forward and we will pray with you. You can accept Christ today. The rock of ages can be yours right now. Your life can change in an instant. Come forward. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. It's not embarrassing. Everybody in here is a broken sinner. We all know it. Nobody here has any kind of illusions about who we are. We're not going to be like, oh, look at that guy. He's a sinner. Like, right. Yeah, go be with me in traffic. It's true. This is a true story. None of us in this room will judge you. If you're still embarrassed, you find me afterward. Don't go home. Don't go out on the roads. Don't put your life in danger for another week. Because stuff happens. Stuff that you never anticipated. You come, you find me. We will pray. And you can accept Christ. If you've accepted Christ and your life has wandered out and you don't know where you are, you don't know where to go, come and join us. Join this church. Join our family. Again, none of us are perfect, but we're all not perfect together. Somehow that works. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, God, we're so screwed up, we don't even know what to do. We're so broken and so empty, we don't even know what to pray for. We ask that your will would be done here, that you would come in glory, that you would take the souls, that you would bring us the people that need you, God, that you would give us the eyes to see the harvest and the strength to bring it in, God, that you would light this place on fire for you, that you would fall on us like holy fire from heaven, God. Not in a creepy, weird way, in a powerful way. God, we, we need you so much. There are so many people in here that need you so bad. We ask that you would move in their lives in a real way. God, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen.